The Crux of the Matter, Episode 53, 1 Timothy Chapter 5. Hello and welcome to The Crux of the Matter, the show by pastors, for pastors. My name is Pastor Todd Peppercorn. And this is Professor Scott Stigmeyer. Hey Scott, how are you today? I'm doing just wonderful. Good. We've got our... uh, End of a busy day, but that's all good. Yep, end of a busy day. Wednesdays are always long for me. I've got my uh, 6.30 a.m. Bible class and then ends right. with uh, evening prayer, etc. So it's about a, I don't know, 14-hour day, something like that. But, mm-hmm. you know, life goes on. Yeah. Life goes on indeed. What have you been teaching this week? Well, um, I'm happy to report that for my church history class, we started the Reformation today. Hey, you are moving along. That only yeah. took you, what, two months? Yeah, right. I mean, that's all I got. And, and uh, just a few more weeks and I got to get us up to the 20th century. But we're, we, you know, it, it's just fun. And, and, and these kids are, um, it's a small class and most of them are church worker students. And so they're already Lutheran and they've had doctrine courses. So they know, they, you know, they know basic story, the basic story of, of Martin Luther. But it was really kind of fun to talk about some of the things that led up to that, the Renaissance and to talk about the, the, the printing press and Erasmus and, and uh, just a number of the of the other reformers who came along first, like Savonarola and Wycliffe and Jan Hus, and so we were doing some of that today. That's good stuff. That's fun. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I've always I've always enjoyed doing Reformation history and kind of working working through that. So that's definitely fun stuff. What do you well, I've been um, been uh, rolling right along here with with Genesis. Still, we are. Uh, uh, we did Genesis 25 this uh, today, which is uh, the the whole uh, thing with Abimelech and Isaac and Rebecca. It's kind of a kind of an odd little text. I don't know if you remember the story, but what's odd about it is that Isaac and Rebecca, Isaac really does the exact same thing that Abraham did with Sarah when they went to Egypt, namely that he tells Abimelech and the other Philistines that she's his sister. Um, I had completely forgotten that, so uh, that was an odd one. Then you had the whole Esau and the lentil stew thing as well. Oh, yeah, those are great stories. Yeah, well, you know, and that word, uh, I, of course, can't remember what the word is right now, but that the word for birthright uh, is the same word as firstborn. So to have the birthright is to be the firstborn. There is, I mean, they are one and the same thing. And so it's just interesting. Esau, by despising his, he's he's despising his firstbornness essentially, and uh, which means he's despising his family. He's despising because he would be the one who would carry on the family name, etc. Um, but uh, yeah, it's uh, very curious indeed. So so that was fun. Looks like we might be having some signal problems again. Yeah, yeah, you're you're really crackly. Do, am I clear to you? Um, not bad, not bad, not great, but um, but not not terrible. I think I think that it's still decent enough that we can go ahead, and I don't think that I'm going to end up crackly at all on the other side on the okay. recording. So okay. I think we're okay on that end. At least that's the. That's the theory at this point. It is it is a little hard to make you out, but I can I can 
I can do it. Well, let me uh, let me mute my video a little bit. Let's see if that helps. Okay, now speak. Yeah. So, is that any different? Or any no, better? No, or no, dif- no different. That's interesting because because all of the statistics of you know how uh, the jitter and how fast the round trip is going and all of that stuff is really good. But you're very um, uh, you're very pixelated as well. So. <sighs> Joy and happiness had by all. So, do you feel like we can go on, or should we wait? Um, I mean, I think that. I mean, when I'm talking, everything sounds clear. But when you're talking, it's just it's just very staticky. Hmm. I'll um, tell you what. Why don't you try calling me? I don't think that that should matter, but um, you know, let's try it yeah, and see what happens. Let's, okay. Let's try that. Okay. Yep. You call me. All right. Testing one, two, three. Better, worse, Perfect. same, clear, perfectly clear. All right. Well, let's uh, go. Why the going's good? As I said, yeah. you're still kind of pixelated, but um, but I can hear you just fine. So okay. I think okay. we're uh, I think we're all right for right now, at least. I may um, I may do a little bit of looking on my computer and maybe see if there's some other things that are running that are uh, that are taking up juice that shouldn't be. Mm-hmm. Let me see if I can uh, if I can turn my trip mode on. That will all, uh, that will kind of clear things up a bit. Who knows? Yeah. Well, I think that we had finished the teaching section now that we've yeah, had our brief yeah. hiatus. So yeah. we can probably move into the first Timothy. I think we should. All right. We better do it while the doing's good. Yeah. Okay. We had a couple of technical difficulties there, but I think we're back. Uh, for those of you who are following along at home, we are reading through First Timothy, and we are at First Timothy chapter 5. And I am going to read that for us out of the ESV. First Timothy chapter 5. Do not rebuke an older man, but encourage him as you would a father, younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, younger women as sisters, in all purity. Honor widows who are truly widows. But if a widow has children or grandchildren, let them first learn to show godliness to their own household and to make some return to their parents, for this is pleasing in the sight of God. She who is truly a widow, left all alone, has set her hope on God and continues in supplications and prayers night and day. But she who is self-indulgent is dead even while she lives. Command these things as well, so that they may be without reproach. But if anyone does not provide for his relatives, and especially for members of his household, he has denied the faith faith, and is worse than an unbeliever. Let a widow be enrolled if she is not less than 60 years of age, having been the wife of one husband and having a reputation for good works. If she has brought up children, has shown hospitality, has washed the feet of the saints, has cared for the afflicted, and has devoted herself to every good work. But refuse to enroll younger widows, for when their passions draw them away from Christ, they desire to marry, and so incur condemnation for having abandoned their former faith. Besides that, they learn to be idlers, going about from house to house, and not only idlers, but also gossips and busybodies, saying what they should not. So I would have younger widows marry, bear children, manage their households, and give the adversary no occasion for slander. 
for some have already strayed after Satan. If any believing woman has relatives who are widows, let her care for them. Let the church not be burdened, so that it may care for those who are truly widows. Let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. For the scripture says, You shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain, and the laborer deserves his wages. Do not admit a charge against an elder except on the evidence of two or three witnesses. As for those who persist in sin, rebuke them in the presence of all, so that the rest may stand in fear. In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus and of the elect angels, I charge you to keep these rules without prejudging, doing nothing from partiality. Do not be hasty in the laying on of hands, nor take part in the sins of others. Keep yourself pure. No longer drink only water, but use a little wine for the sake of your stomach and your frequent ailments. The sins of some people are conspicuous, going before them to judgment, but the sins of others appear later. So also good works are conspicuous, and even those that are not cannot remain hidden. Thus far, the chapter. Nice. Yeah. Yeah, lots of interesting, uh, lots of interesting stuff to think about, um, think about well, along he, the way there. Yeah, he's giving very practical congregational uh, management tips. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Now, what do you think is um, what do you think is going on with this widow's stuff? <laughs> is this just widows? Is this kind of is this deaconesses or something else? Well, it sounds an awful lot like there's some kind of an office of widow um, that uh, that there are, are women who are uh, unattached. I mean, who are who, who are widows in the traditional sense. And, right. And yet instead of remarrying, you know, they're older, perhaps. And they devote themselves to uh, service in the church. Yeah. So it seems like it seems like it's an office. I don't know if 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 it's exactly the same thing as what we would call a deaconess, um, you know, or, or you know, or an early version of 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 a nun. But something's right. going on like that. Yeah, something. And it is. Uh, it, it. Well, it, it, there's kind of this presumption that if the if the uh, if the women, if these widows and they're truly widows over sixty was his his line. Um, yeah. If they're truly okay. widows, that is, they have no ch- no. Not only they don't have a husband, or their husband is dead, yeah. but also their children and grandchildren are are gone. And yeah. that's what he's they defining have, as a widow. They have no one who can take care of them, you know, or with right. whom they can live. Right, right. So that's kind of uh, right, and you got that line: "Let them be enrolled." Verse nine. Right, right. Yeah, right. I mean, clearly, this is some kind of an office along it's along the way. Organized. Here. Yeah. Yep. Yep. And uh, and so you've got this laundry list in ten and following that is uh, similar, although by no means the same as the, uh, uh, as these lists of qualifications that we had in, in the earlier chapters. Um, now I, I don't want to skip over the first two verses though, because I think that they are interesting from the perspective of, of serving as a pastor. Yeah. Now in my mind, one of the things that is, that is interesting is that, uh, of course, as a parish pastor, you're always going to have people that are older than you and people that are younger than you. 
Um, you'll have some people that would be kind of considered peers, but you're always dealing with these lots of ages, children and adults and, you know, hundred years old, et cetera. And, and it's always struck me as, as really interesting to trying to think through how do I, how am I to interact with these people in different ways along the way? How do I, how am I supposed to, to kind of figure this out? Uh, and he, and he's saying, uh, in, encourage the men as uh, as you would a father, uh, younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, younger women as sisters, and so so quite intentionally he's saying basically you are you are entering into a family relationship, and while you have a place of authority that is unique, that does not give you the right to kind of. Uh, Lord over them or, you know, kind of have act as if that is not the case. Is that your read of it? I mean, yeah, I think it's, I think it's very, um, I think it's very lovely and, and lovely is a weak, is not the word I want to use, but there's something very, uh, beautiful about how he, he, he puts this. It's sensitive (laughs) is what it is. Yeah. It's sensitive. He's saying, you know, look, uh, you know, treat older men. He's not saying you can't rebuke older men at all. He's saying do it as you will encourage him as you would your father. Speak to him as you would your father. You know, right. and this is hard to – these are all need to hear. Yeah. <laughs> these are things that pastors probably need to take to heart but from time to time as we get into church conflicts and, and have members of the church, and leaders and elders in the church who are older than we are and how we interact with them and some who are younger than we are and how we interact with them. I mean, yep. I, I don't know about you, but I'm, I, you know, I had an older brother. He's deceased now, but I mean, I had an right. older brother, and I was a younger brother, so I know how older brothers treat their younger brothers. <laughs> right. I think it's yep. pretty interesting that he puts that in there. Yeah, yeah, and uh, but you know that there is a sort of mentorship, if you will, yeah. but that it is yeah, a did. a mentorship that is that's also. Uh, I, I don't know. Combative isn't the right term either, but that there is play, that there is yeah. there's interplay that goes on that is very different. Um, I don't know. We'll have to we'll have to think about that. Uh, think about that more as we as we kind of uh, kind of move on. Um, now, uh, back to back to the widows here and and essentially kind of the picture that I'm getting in reading this is that these widows um, are serving are serving the the body are serving the church um, and they're doing it in these in these very specific ways that they're care, helping with children they're showing hospitality they wash the feet of the saints I I wonder if that means care for the elderly I mean what does that uh, you know is that I don't think that that means, in a ritual sense, you know, in turn, like a foot no. washing service in the divine service, I find that unlikely. No, no uh, I think care for the if afflicted. You look at, if you look what it says right before, it shows hospitality. Well, that is how you show hospitality, right? In, in absolutely, that culture, is by washing the feet of your guests. Yep, yep, yeah. John thirteen, etc. Right, yeah, that's interesting. And I think, yeah, she's talking. He's talking about a more of a of a of a way. You know that they are than than a specific task that they do. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. I think so. I think so too. So moving moving on, now we get another kind of a pass at 
uh, at the office of a pastor. Only here, the term isn't um, isn't bishop. It isn't deacon. It is um, it is elder. No, and, sure. Yeah, and so, you know presbyteros. So, mm-hmm. But uh, I think that we're we're still kind of broadly speaking in the same in the same category. Uh, that these are that these are elders. Uh, I mean, there are a couple couple interesting interesting terms there that I honestly don't know what they mean. What does it mean to say that the uh, verse seventeen that the elder rules or governs well? You know, I, yeah. I, I don't know honestly. Yeah, I, um, I you know, I mean, we rule with the word of God. Yeah. We, you know, it, it is it is an authority. He's, I mean, sure. I think he's acknowledging that the pastor has authority, um, and that. But and that includes, you know, Todd. I'll tell you one very enlightening experience I had a long time ago, about fifteen years ago or so. I went to south. Um, I went to southern Sudan, South Sudan, right, in East Africa, with a friend of mine who was at the time the bishop of the Evangelical Lutheran Church of Sudan, uh, Andrew Alyssa, and. He, he had the title of bishop, and you would see people come to him from all different villages. They would travel to come to see him and pay him respect and to ask his advice about, about – it was just remarkable. And he was hmm. so gracious. He was so – he was not at all haughty. You know, or or treating them as if he was like you know, kiss my ring kind of bishop. Right. Right. But, you know, he was he was he was very fatherly to them, and they were like his children of hmm. all ages. It was it was a really beautiful thing to see. Do you think and that I, I pastors have that same picture today, or not? I mean, here in America, not not at all. I, I yeah. To me, it's, it looked like something very unique to me in my experience, but it seems like something that was very wholesome and very good. Um, you know, they, they were, they were looking up to him as well, you know, I mean, in one respect, because he was probably the most educated man around and had traveled to the West and studied in the West. And, you know, I mean, so that he had a lot of prestige for that, for those things, but sure. Um, but it was, it was nonetheless, it was a shepherd with his flock and it, and you could, you could see deference, but not, um, domination. Right, right, and and so those those two kind of go go hand in hand. I, sure. you know, I think a lot of about how uh, just about the concept of authority and that authority is is given. You know, the authority of the pastoral office is given by God through the church. Yeah, um, but it is it is handed over. It is given, and in a sense. The congregation sort of continually says amen to that by hearing what you what you preach by you know by kneeling at the altar by all of these you know all of these ritual interactions that we have with people uh, it it just kind of makes it so that this is really a um, it's a it's a continued relationship. It's not just a one time mm-hmm. one time shot or something like that. And yeah. you can also see how that can get unbalanced, either on one end or another. That yeah. a pastor can abuse his office, a congregation can abuse their place. And when the pastor is uncertain of his own vocation, 
then uh, then you start to have problems. That's for sure. Well, if if I may, Please. the verse that the verse that kicked me in the teeth as you were reading it was verse twenty. Yeah. As for those, <laughs> as for those who persist in sin, rebuke them in the presence of all, so that yeah. the rest may stand in fear. Yeah. I don't remember. Well, I don't remember any of my seminary professors in pastoral practice or in, uh, you know, those post vicarage forums that we had. Or <laughs> I don't remember right. getting that particular piece of advice. Yeah. Rebuke them yeah. In front of everybody. Well, and 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 I guess we have to ask the question: Is but this is this is counsel given to to Timothy in caring for elders. So is this kind of advice for Timothy the the bishop as he cares for the pastors who are under him? That was how I read it. Uh-huh. Sure, sure. Uh, um especially as you you know, in the context of the you know, the don't don't muzzle the ox, the laborer deserves his wages, and and kind of all of this other stuff that Boy, howdy! Well, is that a is well, that something we struggle with around uh, around here? Meaning America is the con- is well, simply the concept of a public and private. <laughs> I'm not sure if we have either, really. And I'm not I'm not sure that he makes a distinction. You know, yeah. as for those who persist in sin, even if he, even if he's saying the bishop to the to the elders to the presbyteroi, right? As for those who persist in sin. Still, rebuke them in the presence of all. We often try to do this very quietly and behind the scenes, and we don't talk about it. We don't tell people. We, it just gets spread around on on social media. But right. um, you know, he's saying, put it in the light of day, and right. so that others may tremble a little. Right. So that others can see, uh, can say, they're for the grace of God go I." I mean, is yeah. that kind of the the picture? Yeah. That is interesting, and, and to be and to be afraid of what may happen. <laughs> you know, I don't right. wanna, I don't want to go through that. I don't want to I don't want to lose everything, and I don't want to have this experience. And you know, I think we need to have a little bit of. I'm 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 not a I'm not afraid of fear, Todd. I, I think yeah. we can. I think fear is a is a thing that we um, can cultivate in a way that is 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 beneficial. There has to be a sense with a pastor where if you aren't a little bit scared yeah. of this office that you bear, then I'm kind of worried about you. For, yeah. Really? Then you're a sociopath or, or, yeah. or something really wrong if, you know, or yeah. you're not serious or something. Right. You're, you don't recognize the gravity of the office or so. And, and I'm not saying there shouldn't be joy. Of course there's joy yeah. in the office yeah. that, that, it all I'm not saying that we should be kind of walking around paralyzed, trembling with no. fear, but I have to recognize that this is kind of serious business. This isn't a joke. This isn't um uh but that this is really a big deal. And I mean and, and this whole chapter really reads like that. Um I mean Timothy goes on to 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 really lay out quite carefully that if there are charges against an elder it's got to be well established that this is yeah. not a matter of rumor mongering, you know, all of this kind of stuff. Um, and uh, and even ver- the, the verse that grabbed me was verse 22. Do not be hasty in the laying on of yeah. hands, right. nor take part in the sins of others. Keep yourself pure. Um, right. We 
we are kind of at a time and a place, I think, where there, where there is a, a pressure, a real pressure to uh, shortcut the, um, yeah, yeah. the training for the pastoral office um, or to eliminate it virtually um, or to eliminate the office entirely. And, uh, and, and I think it's interesting that Paul here really exhorts Timothy to, uh, don't, don't be in such a hurry to lay this on somebody else. This is a, this is a burden. This is, Mm -hmm. this is something that you're going to bear and don't just do this. Um, because when, when that happens and if you, if you lay hands on someone that is not ready to bear this office, then, I mean, his implication at least is that you are at least partly responsible for their actions. I think that's exactly what he's saying. And, you know, and just in case our, our listeners didn't catch it, you know, when he's saying laying out of hands, we're taking that to mean ordination. Yeah, definitely. Um, not, not, not like healing or some other kind of laying on of hands if there is you know, a blessing, you know, but, right. but particularly given the context that it's about, uh, you know, it's a pastoral epistle. It's, it's Paul telling Timothy how to govern his, his, his pastors that yep. serve with him. Yep. And he's saying, do not be hasty in whom you ordain uh, and, and take part in, in their sins. And, and you know, th- this can be bad for your own conscience. Yep. That's exactly right. I, um, yeah, I find that uh, I find that very very interesting. Of course, uh, of course, verse twenty three is like the um, is like the theme verse for pastors in California. <laughs> yeah. um, at least it feels like it around here. So that's funny. Don't you know the whole drink drink a little wine for your uh, for your stomach's sake, etc. Huh. Anything else you wanna you wanna bring up on this chapter, Scott? Uh, you know. Um no, I think that we, uh, I think that we covered it without going into all the every single detail. Yeah, I think I think that's good. There's uh, lots of mm-hmm. lots of lots of good stuff and good counsel in there. Well, if our uh, listeners want to find the show notes and uh, and find out a little bit more about this whole this whole thing, you can go to the crux of the matter dot net slash podcast slash 53 for this episode you can also email us at feedback at the crux of the matter.net we always appreciate hearing from you uh, and you can find us on twitter as well i think it is crux of the mat there and uh look for peppercorn and stigmire any place that podcasts are are uh, distributed along the way you'll probably find this so scott what's uh what's bringing you joy my friend you know, I've got this book that I've been working on for a while, and um, I'm I'm getting close to being done with it. And I actually wrote the author. I liked it. I like it so well. I wrote to the author and started asking him some questions. Um, it's called um, it, it's called Earthen Vessels: Why Our Bodies Matter to Our Faith by Matthew Lee Anderson. Now, Matthew Anderson is a I think I think he's at least on the back of the book it says that he is a student at Oxford University if he's completed his studies yet or not, but it's a, it's a theology of the body. It's the book I want to write, you know, in a way it's a theology <laughs> right. of the body 
that is more than just about sexuality. It does deal a lot with sexuality but and, sure. and marriage and homosexuality, but it also deals with things like tattooing and body modifications and plastic surgery and how we treat the dead and cremation. You know, all those various things about the way we treat the body portrays our doctrine about the incarnation, about the creation. His, he, he has a major, major gap. And can you guess what his major gap is? <laughs> the sacraments. Exactly. It's great. <laughs> yeah. It's a great book. And I, I wrote to him, and I, and, and I almost said this, and I didn't when I wrote to him. I, I decided to take this line out. But I said, right. you know, as a Lutheran, I keep waiting for you to talk about the body of Christ. Right. <laughs> Seems so, sort of obvious. Symbolic. Right. The body of Christ. Christ, you know, and the body of Christ that we that we eat and that we drink, and the body of Christ that we are as the church. He just doesn't use that language in the in the three quarters of the book that I've read so far. I wrote to him to see if he'd done anything with transgender issues, and uh, sure. that's something I'm working on, and he hasn't. So I sent him <laughs> I sent him my article, but it's yeah. a really good book, and um, I I think that uh, I think that we would very many of our listeners would profit if they would just pick this up. It's called the earthen vessels. Cool. You know, I've been thinking for a while, Scott, that one of the things we should develop in all of our free time here is we should develop, we should develop topical reading lists and put them on the website. Wouldn't that be fun? Just kind of, uh, you know, so pick your, pick your theology of the body bibliography and, and just kind of, work work down the stuff that either that we picked or things that uh uh things that might be of particular interest to uh Lutheran pastors. That could be uh that could be fun. Sort of a uh a modern take on the John Pless bibliography. My pick, which is uh very different than yours, although it is still a book. I gotta grab it here. So so my pick, Scott, is a uh is another book. And the title of this book is Preaching Better, Practical Suggestions for Homilus by a man named Kent Ken Untener. Now, on the kind of on the on the first glance at that title, it sounds uh, cheesy and maybe dangerous because <laughs> I don't I'm not much on the how to thing. What fascinated me about this book was that it's written by a Roman Catholic bishop. Bishop of Saginaw, at least as the as of the publishing of this book, and he's taught homiletics and uh, and all kinds of things, and he went through this extensive, um, kind of think tank process at his uh, at his diocese, where he would have these little uh, little groups where he would gather preachers and listeners together, and they would kind of tear apart sermons and stuff, and then they would, and then and then he would kind of gather data on this, did this for more than a decade. And uh, and it is a really interesting book. It's very practical, uh, very practical, but not but not cheesy or dumb. It's practical based on uh, based on actual practice and practice that's probably a little close to our intention in terms of preaching. Then you're going to find in the evangelical how to books. So that's pretty fun. Yeah, that sounds awesome. What was yeah. the name of it again? I, I didn't catch the name of it. Yeah, the name of the book is Preaching Better, Practical Suggestions for Homilists mm. by Ken Untener. And there'll be a link in the show notes. Here's a couple, here's a couple quotes 
uh, he's got a chapter on beginning a certain beginning, middle, end sermons, and you know how to prepare and stuff. So here's a couple quotes on ending a sermon. Ending a homily is like trying to get out of a canoe. It's fine <laughs> as long as you're as long as it works. But when it doesn't work, it really doesn't work. Uh, second one: Don't ever begin to preach a homily unless you know what your last two sentences are going to be. And I rather nice. and I and I found that. Re- you know, gr- first of all, just great advice uh, from a very practical point of view that if you can uh, if you can get uh, kind of think about how you're going to start, what's the meat and how and how you get out of it, that goes a long way toward making better sermons. And uh, and I am thoroughly enjoying this book. It's uh, it's been very, very interesting. That sounds great. I can't yeah. wait to buy it right now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, there you go. I've uh I, I'm on a little bit of a little bit of a kick at looking at how Roman Catholics have been uh, talking and thinking about preaching for a while. Uh, the American Catholic bishops about four years ago uh, produced a document essentially calling for the uh, renewal of congregational preaching. Uh, it's not long; it's about forty pages, something like that. I'm I'm sort of working my way through that, and a few other few other books. I'm sure we'll be talking about them more along the way here. But uh, but this Great. one this one so far, I've really enjoyed. Awesome. awesome. Yep, fun. So, you got anything else for our listeners, my friend? As always, we thank you for listening. Awesome, and uh, a blessed Holy Week to you all. This will probably go up right around uh, Palm Sunday. And uh, hopefully we can get one up, uh, get one up next week. But uh, if not, we will see you on the other side of the resurrection and we'll see you next time. Goodbye.